Welcome everybody to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 297. We are three away from reaching 300, which means we have been doing this for a very long time. Mm. Not you though. Not me. No, I've been here for like four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm new. I'm like baby to this. So around the table this morning, we have Greg. Hi. Yep. Welcome. And Paul. Hey. Welcome guys. Thanks. You're like the little black rain cloud today. Am I? Your shirt. It's like... Just the gray. Just like the skies here. Yep. Liquid sunshine, my friend. I just friend. got back from two weeks in Florida, so oh, yeah. I, mm. I, I wasn't used to the gray while I lived down there. I was I had someone pleasantly talk- surprised with the blue sky. Someone yep. talked to me. Mm-hmm. They shall remain nameless at this point. Okay. And they said, Paul looks different since he's been back on vacation. Mm. And I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe he might be working out a bit. Or- <laughs> and they said, maybe it's the tan. And I said, yeah. It's it was probably a it bit was- of a tan. It was him moving from ghostly white to slightly less ghostly white. Slightly less, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not glowing right now. No, you're not glowing. Can you tan or do you burn? Like Jonathan Giesbrecht, he can't do a base tan. He just burns. Mm -hmm. No, I'll do a tan. Um, I think my years down in Florida kind of, because I used to burn pretty quick, but I don't Mm. really anymore. So I don't know if it's age. My dad's one of those guys who can just step outside and it, it can be in the sunshine for five minutes and he's just brown. Yeah. So mm. maybe I've inherited a little bit of that as I get older. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I do mm. not have that quality. Do you use tanning beds? No. Mm. Mm. Okay. What's going on with you, Greg? You've been looking a little different the last couple of days. Guys, this is my favorite week of the year. I'm not even going to lie. So um, for usually half the year or so, I'll have a beard yep. uh, of various lengths. And then... Uh, do you name your beard? No. I think, didn't you call it Beardy? Beardy. <laughs> Maybe. I think on Facebook I saw Yeah, Bye Bye Beardy. Mm-hmm. But that's more a play on the Bye Bye Birdie. Um, ah. See? Uh, so what I do is the other half of the year I don't have a beard. And the week in between those two st- stages and phases of my annual life is the best week of my year because I do something usually different each day of removing more facial hair. So yesterday I had kind of like the NASCAR really long... Um, like mutton chops. sideburns yep. mm-hmm. with a goatee. Today's just a goatee. We have an elders meeting tonight and I, I felt a little self-conscious of making it look a little dumb mm-hmm. for the elder meeting. We have to pray for congregants and stuff too, right? So, yeah, right. Fair enough. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. I'm going to do... Uh, stages. I'm going to do more stages. Handlebar mustache is going to be one of them. Oh, are you on Instagram? No, I'm not gramming. Oh. Good for you. Where are, are you on Twitter? Are you uh, tweeting fa- this? I'm uh, Facebooking it. Uh, Facebook, Okay. And then uh, I'll do the, the, the just the plain stash at one point. That's great. And then actually, Paul has talked me into, on Friday, having like the lip hugger, like Walt Disney. Just the, yeah, just the, super thin just the really along thin, the top of the lip. Yeah. <laughs> so gonna be, <laughs> Friday was going to be That'll clean be shaven, but sweet. I think that's going to have to wait for Saturday mm-hmm. because that, the... the the pencil stash. The pencil stash. I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to those pictures. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's not good for my marriage because <laughs> Sarah hates this week with everything in her. Um, she she tolerates the beard. She's okay with the beard. She right. would really prefer if I never had a beard. Mm-hmm. But she loves me enough to put my needs ahead of hers when it's beard season uh, because I, I I think it's fun. For and then I get bored, and so mm-hmm. I need to change it up. Yeah, fair enough. So it's good. 
So it's a big week for me. Thanks, great. thanks guys. I appreciate the support. Mulder, can you and... grow a beard? Uh, no, I can't. No? I'm like a 15-year-old boy when it comes to growing facial hair. Mm. Yeah, it's patchy, it's thin. Mm-hmm. It's basically peach fuzz still. <laughs> it's <laughs> patchy so, and thin. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Hey, you, you know, know what? what? Why not? Yeah. Who cares? Nobody. And I'm pretty sure Jeff couldn't grow a beard. He could, but his problem would be defining where to stop the beard. Mm. He's a hairy dude. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he said this as such on the podcast. Yes, yes. I, oh, oh, okay. I'm not misrepresenting no, him. I don't think. I, this has happened. So, okay. So it would just kind of continue. Although we had a teacher uh, at one point. I won't, I won't say any names, but there, there was a teacher I had um, in high school that would, he had a, he had a beard, yeah. but he was very, his chest was very hairy and his yeah. chest hair would stick out of his yeah. collared shirt Nice, and he would actually shave a line so yeah. that there was no, a noticeable yeah, yeah. <laughs> difference. So there was no so, connection. Yeah. Here's where my neck is. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, that was helpful. Can I, can I point out all. one more thing right. about this? Yep. There, there is a weird beard culture, though, that like I have. You're serious had, about this? You're, his eyebrows went up. <laughs> like his, pe- his forehead. Yeah, he's, got he's, he's passionate about this. People have been like upset with oh. me for shaving mm. because they're like, no, my one guy said my beard is crying over this. What? People are personifying their beards in in unhealthy ways. Yeah, mm. people also stick flowers in their beards, so I don't know if you should take too much. Right. Into so that. I'm just saying, part of part of me having a beard for half the year and not the other half of the year is that I'm afraid of who I'll become if I have a beard all the time. Cause I see these, this beard culture and it's culty. Mm. So if you're listening, you need to be careful not to put any other gods before our Lord, your beard included. Yeah. Yeah. I like that picture that was put online of uh, Spurgeon without a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that is great? That allowed? I mean, Spurgeon is Charles Spurgeon, great uh, pastor, theologian from the 19th century. <laughs> Had he had quotes about talking about beards and the the manliness of beards yeah. and like the the God given uh, like duty of men to have beards okay, stuff just, like this. Can you imagine if Spurgeon was a preacher today though? Like he would be protested every single week. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. continue your story. Yeah. Anyway, there was a picture of him that somebody put online. It must. Now he started. I think he was finished his uh, his masters when he was eighteen or seventeen or something like that. So. The picture, he looks about that old without a beard. And man, that <laughs> if it's you a wanna, funny looking picture. If you want a good laugh, you need to just Google Charles Spear- Spurgeon beardless. Mm-hmm. It is, it's going to be worth your time. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe Brian can even make that the photo. For this week? Of this week's episode. Oh, we'll ask him. Be great. Right. That'd be That'd a good be choice. All right. So this last week, we had some sermons on parenting. Mm. Paul was preaching in Mission. Matt Glezos was preaching here mm-hmm. in Abbotsford. It was his first week preaching in Abbotsford. So he did great. For those of you that mm-hmm. don't he know, did. he was he's our Tri City church plant guy, and he did a great job. Mm-hmm. So Paul, you're talking about parenting. Is there yeah, anything man. that you didn't get in that you felt like you needed to? Um, yeah. So I. I went with Colossians 3.21, and I stayed in Colossians 3.21. Right, because Matt went to Hebrews 12. Matt basically preached Matt, out of Hebrews 12. Matt went, yeah, he did. A, he had a different verse for, uh, for every point. Yes, he much. did. Anyway, I stayed in, I stayed in Colossians 3.21, and I looked at different ways that we can provoke our children. And then, uh, so I, I had my two points that we were looking at was three ways that we provoke and one way to provide so your two point, your first point was three points. 
Yeah, pretty that much. That is sneaky. Yeah. yeah. See, I like that. I've learned that. I think I've learned that from Jeff, Jeff actually. Jeff, yeah, he does Jeff that sometimes. Jeff likes to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so when we're looking at different ways that we can provoke our children mm-hmm. uh, so that they become discouraged is what the text says. Um, and Paul's telling us not to do that, by the way, not yeah, do it. Right. So, right. Right. yeah. So as as parents, there's a lot of different things that we can do to provoke children. So I kind of looked at big picture uh, pieces. And um, yeah, I mean, when you look at how we can provoke our children, there's lots of different things that we can do and things that we shouldn't be doing. But things that we do do. Right. Like when we um uh, one thing that I thought of as I was preparing was kind of the the vicariously living through our children and mm-hmm. expectations, right? Like this was this was a more specific piece that I didn't include. So a lot of times we have our kids involved in so many things, and we expect them to excel at these things. And you know, starting at age four, we've got them in in every kind of sport and music, and we're running them around like crazy. And then mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden, you know, they're um, they're complaining of, you know, high anxiety rates and things like this. We see in the care department, we see teenagers coming in with massive anxiety. Mm. And then you look at their lives and it's like, well, yeah, you're never giving yourself a downtime. Mm. You're expecting yourself and, and people are placing these expectations upon you. And mm. and it just it's not a healthy thing to be that busy. And so Kevin DeYoung wrote that book, right? Crazy Busy where he talks about our culture and our, our propensity to just be involved in absolutely everything possible. So I think this is something that, that we do that actually provokes our children towards uh, and discourages them and gets them embittered. And mm. yeah. yeah that's so good. that's one thing that I didn't include that, that mm. I thought of yeah. while I was prepping. That's great. For sure. Um, while we've got Greg around the table, I wanted to ask you, we've been talking about parenting this last week and you have a, a different situation. You've got a, a son with special needs and, mm-hmm. So what's that like for you and Sarah with parenting your son? Yeah, Sarah and I were talking about it this past uh, week after the sermon, talking about, we didn't hear yours, Paul, but we were talking about Matt's and just um, how encouraging it was and what a good uh, challenge it was for for parents. And it is, we, as as special needs parents, I think every every family has to find ways to incorporate God's word into the fabric of who they are. And every family has to do the work of, of contextualizing it to what their situation is. Very rarely will a, a preacher say something from the pulpit that's a one-to-one direct thing you can use without any kind of nuancing it. Um, and so in some ways, we're, we're not unlike other families or other parents. And in other ways, we are a bit in the sense part of our challenge right now is is just having a son who we uh, we we would like to be lovingly disciplining him. And yet some of that cause and effect stuff isn't quite there yet. And so it, he, he doesn't go right to, to anger at us saying no, he goes right to like deep sadness because he thought that he was communicating something and then he thought we didn't understand him. Mm. And so it's not like a, it's not a rebelling. Mm. It's, it's a, it's a feeling like he can't communicate. And so that's where we're like, okay, we have to find ways to discipline. And yet also, just learning, learning how to, how to parent your child is something every parent I think has to do. And mm-hmm. it changes with each, each kid mm-hmm. of what's it going to look like to help them to grow them in the Lord and to pray for them and to walk them through God's word. And how do I apply this? And so, yeah, it's, it was one of those 
sermons, I think, where, uh, I mean, some other special needs parents might agree with me or not, where you're listening to it and you're almost, you're almost processing the like, oh, what would it be like to parent a typical child? Uh, what, what would that feel like? And yet I don't think that that experience is unique also because I think that's something that all parents go through. Uh, they mm-hmm. think, what would it be like to parent a child who is less strong-willed or more strong-willed or what would sure. it be like to parent this kind of kid or that kind of kid? So it is a weird, it, it's one of those situations where we find ourselves that I think uh, is in some ways unique and in other ways kind of universal experiences, but just different processing. So, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, kids, you know, whether special needs kids or um, or like you said, typical children, uh, we're all made in the image of God. We mm-hmm. are. But we are all fallen mm-hmm. creatures. Mm-hmm. And so all of us have, you know, um, sinful responses to things, even yeah. even kids when they're when they're super little. Right. Like, yeah, they're for sure. Just, they're very self-centered and everything's about them. Right. And so they need to learn that as they go. And so that could, that looks a little different. Sure. With a special needs kid, but, but, um, yeah, that's, it doesn't change. Um, uh, I talked about how, uh, certain in my sermon, I talked about how different communities in the past, especially the Anabaptist communities. is what I was thinking of have tried to segregate themselves from society thinking they can keep sin out and things like this. And then all of a sudden within their community, all this corruption grows (laughs) and everything. Right. (laughs) Right. And then all of a sudden here they are living in their community. All this sin that they were trying to keep out is there. And that's because their sinful hearts are still sinful. Yeah. And they still have the propensity towards sin. Just like just because we're under the curse. Right. We're continually living in that. So. Right. That doesn't change. And I I said in the sermon that doesn't change with your little darlings. No, you're totally right. Yeah. And it's funny, this recently I've been trying to work with Ben on sharing. So part of this is like, one of the ways he feels this is like with his, some of the food that he enjoys. Sure. And so. It sounds like me. If he's eating Cheerios, (laughs) he will, if I ask him, he will sometimes give me one of his Cheerios that's on his plate. And I say, good job. I've yet, he has not yet shared a veggie straw with me. (laughs) So I'm working on that as a trying to be a loving, diligent father to say, look, you need to share (laughs) your straws with your dad, even though I don't particularly like them. But, but yeah, it's funny. You can see it in this. You can see it even from a young age, Mm -hmm. this, this internalized reality of, I need to be, I, I, I need the self to be the center of what's going on. Mm. Everything needs to revolve around my preferences, my desires, my, my, my goals. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to respond in all kinds of ways to try to get you to give me what I want. Mm -hmm. And it's a, yeah. And yet realizing from an early age of early on your, in your parenting, realizing that actually that, that seed of selfishness that we so clearly see in others, we often ignore in ourselves, even in our young parenting. Yeah. That's something Matt, I think, was getting at, that that there's a way you can discipline in a way that is really for the, your child's good, but a lot of discipline happens because we're doing it for our own good. And we don't want our kids to be behaving like that because we feel it reflects badly on us yep. rather than it being mm-hmm. bad for them to act that way. And yep. so so it we see sin rear its ugly head in in young hearts and actions, and yet they also help provide a really tiny mirror of our own selfishness, Mm -hmm. even in our ways of trying to make them less selfish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, um, 
as a part of my sermon, I, I recommended two books mm. uh, on parenting that are, you know, there's a lot of parenting books out there, even from the Christian perspective, that really just focus on behavioral change. And those don't really help because all you're doing is putting a Band-Aid over an issue. And you're possibly even, as you're working on those behaviors, trying to get your child to behave better, you're actually possibly even embittering them as you're doing that. And they're going to grow up resenting you because of whatever methods that you tried to institute. But mm. what we need to do is actually work on our kids' hearts. Because mm. the, the heart is where all of our, I mean, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, all of our actions come. So there's a couple of books, parenting books, that are really good. One is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And if you've had your child dedicated here at Northview, uh, that was probably a gift given to you because I know that Pastor Robin really loves that book. And then the other one is called Just Parenting, uh, 14, I think 14 Gospel Tips on How to Raise Your Children. And it really focuses on the issue of sin within our hearts and the, the need of the gospel for our kids and in our parenting, not just... Mm behavioral change, hmm. but actual heart change. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I appreciate what we've heard about parenting and we're going to jump back a uh, week or so here. Last uh, week we talked a little bit about divorce and Greg in his sermon on divorce had mentioned that he was going to talk about a verse on the podcast and then last week we never got to it. So we figured we should probably get to it this week. And the people got mad. Did you get emails? I got some, I got some, not not angry, but they were like, look, in your sermon, you said you would talk about this and then you did not. And I said, well, no one asked. So they can blame me because I'm the host and I'm the one who gets to ask the questions. <laughs> so, so you can just tell them to send their emails my way. So here's, here's what I raised that I didn't actually address uh, in my sermon. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 12. Paul says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For, this is where the question comes, verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In this case, the brother's not enslaved. So what do you do with that language of a spouse who is an unbeliever being made holy because of their believing spouse? That's the first question. The second question is, what do you do with the fact that the kids now are made holy and, and not unclean, but clean is the language. So first of all, I, I think we need to recognize that different Christian backgrounds and schools of theology are going to answer this question differently. Uh, if I was sitting here and I came from a reformed covenantal theology background, I would answer this question from a different perspective. So I, I'm well aware right out the top that my explanation that I'm going to provide is going to be one that if you come from a reformed background, you might not like this answer, but that's okay. It's a legitimate debate that we can have about what this means. What we know it does not mean of a spouse or children who are unbelievers being made holy. What we know this doesn't mean is that they're actually saved. Verse 16 makes this explicit where Paul says, how do you know wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband, whether you will save your wife? The rhetorical question or the, the answer to that rhetorical question is, well, we won't know. 
Like we can't know. So if the, if the motivation to stay married to an unbeliever, if they consent to live with you is the benefit it's going to cause your unbelieving spouse. That's what Paul says. Don't, don't divorce them because there's actually a positive net effect on your unbelieving family's life for you being in the family. So don't pursue a divorce. But if they choose to abandon you, if the unbelieving spouse chooses to abandon the believing spouse, Paul says, let them go. You're not enslaved. God wants you to live in peace because how are you going to know whether that spouse was actually going to be saved or not? So what I'm, what I'm gathering by that is that however we understand this language of made holy for the parents or sorry, for the, the spouse and for the children can't be a salvation thing. Mm. It, it's not an automatic achieving or a receiving of salvation. So right off the bat, it's something of a different kind. So what does it mean to be made holy, to be set apart, but not saved? Is I think that that's the rub here. It is, does that mean that they are now, as the children, a part of the covenant community that the Reformed tradition would say of? I would say, I don't think that's the best reading of it. My, my take of the made holy here is that uh, in the historical background, what you would have had in this case is two people who were married to each other as pagans, and then one spouse becomes a believer. And now the, the, the temptation or the fear for the Corinthians, particularly the, the Corinthian Christian believing spouse, was what kind of negative effects is this going to bring in terms of cursings from the pagan gods on my family? What, what kind of um, repercussions are there going to be now that I've become a Christian? And so what I think Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, instead of you being now susceptible to the pagan gods and their attacks on your family, you've actually set your family apart. The language in, in the Greek for made holy is, is more directly just a setting apart, a setting aside from a, a different kind of thing. I think Paul's saying, look, your family is not going to be impacted by the spirits and by the pagan gods in a negative way. You are now set apart. And so what you think is unclean, or or if you weren't set apart like this, they would your kids would be considered unclean. They would be still a part of this pagan world. Right. And yet what happens is because of the believing spells, they're removed from that pagan setting. And instead of it having net negative consequences on your family, as though the pagan gods are going to come harder after your family. Paul's saying, actually, no, there's a net positive effect yeah. in the sense yeah. that now you have a security around your family to use the classic Christianese terms. Mm-hmm. There's a hedge. That's <laughs> a hedge pro- of protection. That's protecting hedge of protection. you. I'm totally using some The devil can never cliches. get through a hedge of protection. Totally. That's why we pray for it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my take on this. I, I, however we understand it, it can't, be, it can't mean salvation where it talks about being made holy can't mean a direct salvation for the family members who aren't believers. I don't, mm-hmm. I just think that's illogical mm-hmm. from what Paul's trying to argue. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the cultural context of the, the opposing pagan gods trying to bring curses to a family and the fear of having an unclean child of what that would mean in terms of the negative consequences you would face now as a family, if you were a believer, yeah. I think that makes the most sense of the text. Yeah. So, um, even Calvin in his commentary goes that way with it. Oh, there you go. He talks about the, the, um, the unbelieving person, how in that context, especially, um, the, the tradition would have been to believe that the believing person would be made unclean by the unbelieving person. 
So such as the Jews hanging out with Gentiles would be made unclean, right? So the context was the belief that if, if you were married to an unbeliever, now you're unclean and so you can't go do any of these things. And he's saying, no, that's not the case. Living with an unbelieving spouse does not make you unclean. Don't worry about that. Like in, in essence, they are actually, you are cleaning them so that they can even right. join you in, uh, you know, whatever. So basically your, your holiness um, pervades through your household right. to cleanse that household, not in a, not in a salvation way, right. but just in, a, in that kind of ceremonial way. So to put in another image, which might be helpful, I'm trying to kind of summarize what I'm hearing Calvin and you yeah. say, is holiness of a believer then mm-hmm. has an offensive uh, nature to it rather than a defensive yes. nature. Yeah. So yeah. The, the holiness is something that goes out and affects mm-hmm. rather than is something that's going to be taken away because of something trying to right. limit it. Yeah. So that might be helpful because in the context, you're exactly right. They would have thought, man, my holiness now is up for grabs because all these these pagan gods and practices are going to be hindering my growth in Christ. Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying, no, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. Stay if, if they're consenting to live with you. Don't get Don't pursue divorce. Because that's one of Paul's principles for Christians is that Christians don't pursue divorce. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's why I didn't bring it up is because there's a lot of um, historical background. There's also some theological debate a little bit. I, I think especially the language of your kids are being made holy. Mm-hmm. And as it is, they are clean and not unclean. I think that I've heard some of my Reformed friends um, reference these passages to talk about the state of sure. unbelieving children in a believing mm-hmm. household is that yep. they're made holy mm-hmm. and look first Corinthians seven. So I didn't want to get into all that. And especially cause it didn't have to do with divorce per se, which is what I was actually talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, this conversation actually brings up a, a question that was raised in email to the podcast about, okay. So Paul's talking here about uh, a believer married to an unbeliever mm-hmm. and isn't there other places in scripture, uh, the, the email asks uh, about not being unequally yoked or married to an unbeliever. Mm. Um, and so the question is, okay, so if, if Paul is dealing with married unbeliever believer, is that something that is permissible or, um, Paul would be okay with, or are we to actually marry inside of the family of faith? Mm. Well, the, the text that I think she's, or he or whoever it is, is emailing is uh, from Second Corinthians, which says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness to do with lawlessness? Mm-hmm. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Um, and what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Hmm. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. So within the context here of this, of being unequally yoked, um, is this specifically talking about marriage? Uh, I don't. I, I see that text talking more about not a dividing of, of allegiances and that type of thing. I mm-hmm. think the implications in marriage are 
interesting. I think it's indirect. I think Paul makes it explicit in the text that we were in, in the divorce sermon in, in 1 Corinthians 7. So I think this is a great example, I think, of using language from another text and trying to import it into a text that we're in to see mm-hmm. if there's any connections or not. And I yeah. think there actually is kind of one, but here's the text that makes it explicit in the passage we were actually in. Um, starting verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 7, it says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So here's Paul. He's already given instructions to the unmarried. He told them earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, look, either remain unmarried or um, if you're divorced and it was a believer, believer divorced, you should remain unmarried or reconcile with your spouse. If you're unmarried, but not through divorce, just because you've never been married or because your, your, your spouse has died, he still says remain unmarried. Mm-hmm. Or you can seek another marriage, but then Paul explains what kind of marriage he means by pursuing another marriage. And that's if you're going to get married, I think this is a principle for Paul based on 1 Corinthians 7. Mm -hmm. If you get married, you need to marry another believer. If you're a believer, you should marry another believer. Right. So if we want to use the language of unequally yoked there to provide kind of a secondary Mm -hmm. image or a secondary kind of representation, I think that's, I don't. I haven't studied that passage enough to give kind of a real firm statement on that. But what I do feel comfortable saying is that 1 Corinthians 7 provides a lot of principles for marriage and divorce and remarriage. And when it comes to an unmarried person who's eligible to be married, mm-hmm. that they need to marry another believer. So yeah. this idea that that what Paul is talking about in the marriage between a believer and an unbeliever is not an example for us. It's a description of or it's instructions to a particular situation of what do you do when someone becomes a Christian, but they are married before as an unbeliever? How do you now live as a married couple when you both started out as unbelievers, but now one of you is a believer? Well, then you follow what Paul said early in 1 Corinthians 7. But if you're not married and you're a believer, Paul's instruction to you is that your spouse needs to be in the Lord. They need yeah. to be a believer. So I don't see any wiggle room on this. No. Um, I, I think the whole flirt to convert kind of approach to, to dating and relationships, I think is, is not necessarily sinful. It's just really unwise. Um, I think that there's a difference between having coffee with someone and seeing if it's going to be a, a relationship that's going to last a long time or not. That's a different kind of thing than making a covenant to marry someone. Uh, And yet I think it's really unwise to, if you're a non-Christian and you're single, I think it's just really dumb to date an unbeliever because you might actually fall in love with this person and you might find in yourself an unwillingness to follow the clear directions of the word of God in your life because you're invested in this person. Mm -hmm. And you think, yeah, but what if I have an effect on them and what if they come to know the Lord? Yeah, maybe, but God's word to you is to not marry someone if they're not in the Lord. Right. And, and I think it displays a little bit of a, a lack of trust in God's sovereignty to say like, well, this is the only way that this could happen. Right. Like, right. If, if I leave, then there's no hope. Right. right. They're never going to come to the Lord. If right. I leave. And I think that just misses the point on how much God mm-hmm. is, is loving and caring and actually sovereign over yeah. the lives of people. Exactly. And yet I think some, one of the things that I think motivates that um, of a believer dating an unbeliever is 
a really bad understanding of singleness. Right. It is this is this feeling that singleness is a second class citizen. It's this belief that if I have an attraction to the opposite sex, I don't have the gift of celibacy. And so obviously I can't be single. Um, all of those are mis- misconceptions yeah. and misunderstandings of what the Bible describes of the benefits of singleness. It doesn't mean that being single is always the easiest thing to do. Just like being married is not always the easiest thing to do, but, but there's a benefit to each. And when we start entertaining as believers, the thought that it would be better to be married to an unbeliever than to remain single shows that we just don't understand what the Bible is talking about when it comes to marriage and singleness and what their purposes are. And so this is one of those opportunities where if we have friends or family in our lives who, who profess faith as believers and yet are in a serious relationship with an unbeliever, it's an opportunity for us to talk about, okay, what, what is marriage mm-hmm. as believers yep. and what is the benefits of singleness and what, what are the challenges of both? Um, because yeah, it's a clear, it's a clear command from, from our Lord that we, we don't marry an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I hope people hear that th- those are different situations that being married and both unbelievers and then a spouse becoming a Christian that brings a certain kind of consequence and, and, um, response to it and being unmarried as a believer and having to only marry another believer is a totally different kind of situation. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you gentlemen for your input today on the podcast. It was great. A couple of things. We have a Facebook page. Yes. The extra podcast has finally, we do. Yes, we do. The Extra Podcast has finally joined social media. Does anyone follow it? Yeah, we got like a few people. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Three? Well, more like 30. Ooh. 30. Close to 30. I don't know if it's exactly 30. So you can find it at Northview Extra on Facebook. Go ahead and follow us. We'll be posting uh, some of the things that come up on the podcast, like resources or blogs or articles that may be referenced there. We may post those up there. We may or may not also have... Um, some giveaways so keep your keep your eye out maybe this week there may be some books coming up aka also the ones that Paul was talking about in his sermon so just keep your eye out and it'll be a place for you to interact with us and Paul's trying to find it on Facebook right now dude I'm not finding it Northview Extra it should be there I'm I'm on Facebook yes and I'm searching Northview Extra podcast okay nope just Northview Extra no podcast Guys, we're doing this for the listeners because what if they're searching and they can't find it? So, Paul, That's I'm exactly watching it. and he types in Northview Extra. And I get Matt Crocker's post from 2015. No. Poochie. All right, I'll have to fix that before this goes online. See? There's okay. minions. I will find out why that is, but you should be able to find it at Northview Extra when this is online. There you go. So, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>